Hey everybody, welcome back to the Neurodiversion Professor. I'm Chris Bercher. I do podcasts and videos and write articles about what it's like being different and how I think being different is going to solve all of the problems of humanity. <laughs> More importantly, I think, you know, uh, uh, non-conformity is the solution to all of our problems. And maybe that's not the right way of saying it either. Let's just say, you know, the if, if we alienate people who are quote-unquote different or atypical or unusual or neurodivergent, then we're, you know, removing all of the potential those individuals have and helping us become better humans. We're, we're eliminating that from, uh, from the picture. If we only focus on the normal people, we're missing so much of what humanity has to offer. You know, it's sort of like a hiring process, right? Or getting books published or uh, producing records for uh, the music industry. If we only select for things that people want, we think people want, or we think are average, if we keep doing that, we're basically selecting against anything that's sort of on the fringe, and we're making the world more and more the same. And if you watch any of my episodes about sexual reproduction versus asexual reproduction or cloning, you know that diversity is the way that we're going to uh, navigate the unknown changes that the biosphere and the universe brings us with every successive generation. So, a little bit of a, uh, of a plug there for uh, people who are different. <laughs> Fly your freak flag. So this is episode 164 of the Neurodivergent Professor, and I'm calling it Mindfulness practice is the key to human success. I'm reading a book by John Kabat-Zinn right now that I talked about in the last episode called Coming to Your Senses. And uh, it really has helped um, kind of meld, I don't know what the right word is, uh, congeal a lot of different ideas that have been going on in my head right now between sort of what it means to be neurodivergent and having a hyperactive that kind of, that flavor of neurodivergence, a hyperactive sensory system or nervous system, with a lot of information trying to be processed, and sort of awareness and calm and all the problems that we're experiencing in our world. And, and so reading this book and having learned a lot recently about neurodivergence and then, and, then, and then also ecology and sort of understanding how natural selection and ecosystems work and how... You know, if things aren't well fit for an environment, they tend to go extinct. And it's weird that humans have sort of created all the problems that we have right now, from my perspective, from my historic ecological perspective, because we've made decisions that aren't supported by the natural world. Like, capitalism is all about infinite growth. And there is no example of infinite growth in the natural world except for cancer. And so why would we design systems that, that go against the things that we know to be successful, right? Uh, that, that, that kind of thing. And so I keep coming back to the problems that we have and how in my last arc of episodes, four or five, I'll come back to this idea that, you know, an alien coming to this planet right now would look around and be, be like, what are y'all doing? Uh, you got how many wars? Like 30-some different wars going on right now. We rank someone like Kim Kardashian as having 
more value to the planet than somebody like Greta Thunberg, and maybe that's a bad example. Uh, but we but we value things in people like power and and status and prestige and appearance, you know, over things like kindness and sensibility and uh, re- relaxed attitude, right? I mean, where did we learn this, and how in hell were these things? considered fit by an evolutionary process. And in fact, what I think we're seeing right now is because of all these problems, we got the extrinsic problems I've talked about, like war and inequality and race relations and just, you know, identity politics and being so afraid and disconnected from each other. And then intrinsic problems like depression and anxiety and imposter syndrome and for God's sakes, suicide. You know, when there's when the suicide rate is as high as it is, and I don't know what it is, I just know that it's high, you have to wonder about something who's an entity whose very meaning and value comes from the fact that they're alive. To not want that. What has happened in that individual's life and in the, the greater world around it to lead to that? That's a pretty good canary in the coal mine, if you will, to sort of suggest that things aren't going that well for the human race. And I would even argue that, okay, we, we, you know, if this is the, the natural way, then we're going extinct. What we're seeing is the human race dismantling itself. And that's completely feasible because I can see that in the natural world kind of with the ecological lens, you know, all right. Yeah, that's what we're watching, the demise of humanity. No big deal if you don't have any, any value system. But frankly, I want to live, and I want my progeny to live, and I want their kids to live, and I want humans to rediscover their role, to win the evolutionary fight. You know, And I think that basically means remembering that we're stewards of the place we live. We don't shit where we eat. We actually take care of it. And if we could figure that out, I think we could solve all these problems. And I honestly think that something like mindfulness and meditation is at the very spear tip of the pathway to get us there. I think we, we I've talked about this again on the arc. We all have to sort of relearn how to be in the world as individuals before we can do anything. Like it's that critical. And so something like John, somebody like John Kabat-Zinn and somebody who's taken meditation and tried to make it more palatable, and he calls it mindfulness-based stress reduction. Who doesn't want to reduce their stress? It's time to kind of recap, repackage, rebrand MBSR into uh, yet another package. And maybe I'm on my way to figuring out what that is, but I, I'm still okay calling it meditation and just sort of saying, forget what you know about it. Try it for a month, and then then come talk to me. Give it a chance. You know, be honest with yourself. Like somehow, there's a way to make even the most resistant person identify and open their mind enough and shut out the the sort of internal dialogue that they've got going on that resists this to make an opening for it. And if you can get some people to make an opening for it, and then to actually do it, oh man, it's like. The, the opposite of Sisyphean happens, right? The, the avalanche is going downhill. You just get out of his way. You know, that's where I think we're headed. And so mindfulness is a nicer term than meditation because basically what, to me, mindfulness is, is 
what you take what you've learned in meditation, relax even more about it, and don't require any formality at all. But it's about letting the thoughts that enter your mind happen without attachment. Let them come in and remember and trust that they will go away. You know, I've had some really bad thoughts pop into my head. Killing people and, you know, sometimes I get so mad and uh, what I want to punch my kids or something. But I know those are just thoughts. I don't attach to them and go, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. I should just put myself in jail right now. Because it goes away. It was a meaningless thought. It didn't even, it was just a thing that happened as a result of environmental stimuli and my nervous system got together and with the things I know about language, they made this thing happen and then I can let it go and go, oh yeah, it was just, no, that was no big deal. So I think the relationship between sensory interpretation of the world, this is the neurodivergent band, you know, we do this differently. We all do it differently. We all have to, which is why we all have to figure this out for ourselves. Um, the thoughts come, the thoughts go, and you attach to you know what you want to attach to, or ideally, you don't attach any meaning to any of it because it never had any in the first place. You accept a thought for what it is, and then mindfulness is you just this is what you do on a daily basis. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you just go, uh, oh wait, uh, go hey, what's this song? Oh yeah, big old jet airliner, sweet, and you just for it's like it didn't happen because it doesn't really matter. Right. What matters is the story, the dream, as Don Miguel Ruiz calls it, the Toltecs call it. What the what we the, the explain into that? That guy's an asshole. I'm going to kill him. Oh, he doesn't deserve to live. I'm a better person. You know the whole thing. It happens in every element of our lives. Now, of course, sometimes we have to make judgments. We have to make decisions. We have to do things. We have to protect ourselves. We have to go to work. Whatever it is, we have to do. But it, but it, but all of this lack of attachment is only going to help those things, right? It's not going to make us complacent. You know, one of the one of the complaints I've heard people say about meditation is I'm I'm going to lose my edge, right? I'm going to not be creative anymore because I'm not going to but my attachments to things are what make them great. You know, I really felt that song and I'm going to like follow this through and write some lyrics or, or whatever it is and make it into something better. You know, maybe some of that's true, but in the grand scheme of things, I think the pro of being mindful far outweighs any cons, and it removes so many problems that it, I think it opens up space for more of those, more moments like that, not less, not fewer. Uh, so what's at the root of all this? You know, I got an episode rolling around in my head about addiction again, although I've done an episode on this, and, it, and it's about getting to the cause of addiction. Because like so many things in the American healthcare system, we're reactive. Oh, you drink too much? I can help you quit drinking. Oh, you're overweight? I can help you, you know, lose weight. Um, oh, you have an anger management problem? I can help you not express your anger the same way. None of all of these things remove the symptoms, but none of them even talk about a potential, like or, or why they happen in the first place. Like me. I'm a kind of a restless person. And I, I think in like episode two of uh, what was formerly called Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, I did an episode about quiet and distraction and why it's so hard for us to be quiet. And really, truly, I'm going, this is going toward meditation, why it's so hard. It just doesn't, doesn't work for us because we're so easily distracted. Why? 
because our nervous systems are running rampant and reckless under the surface without any control or awareness at all from us. They're just running the show in the background. The monkey mind, that's your awareness running rampant because you, you can't do, you're not doing anything about it. And that's what mindfulness and meditation teach you, to be aware of it, to see what's happening, and then maybe we can think about making some tweaks. But that's secondary at best. You know, the first thing we got to do is learn that it's there <laughs> in, the, in the first place. And so this, this under-the-surface monkey mind energy that's going on, we don't have any idea about. We can't even acknowledge it. It just we know it because it's a feeling. We get restless. And what do we do when we're restless? We want distraction. Now, for me, historically, these distractions have been nicotine, cannabis, alcohol, um, you know, going to concerts, playing music, just, just getting away from do, you know, doing, right? The world of doing. And a lot of those doings are good. You know, when I play music, there's nothing bad going on. It's all a positive thing. There's many doings, but I was getting away from my being because I had no idea about any of it. I wasn't aware of it. I didn't understand it. I didn't have any instructions about it. I never heard about it. And so there's this, this need to distract ourselves from sitting still with that because it's like we're scared of it because we're scared of what we don't know and we don't understand. And again, the first step is being aware of it learning to see it, and then kind of sitting with it and not be scared of it anymore. But we distract ourselves because we're uncomfortable. And I think that's what AA should teach us. You know, that's what hypnotherapy to quit smoking should teach us. That's what therapy should teach us, and in many ways it does. But that's what we we, we need to get at. And, and granted, if somebody's a destructive alcoholic, getting them to quit drinking is the first step. You know, we don't need to start at, well, why do you drink? Because <laughs> it may never get anywhere. You know, you, you, you take the devil out of the room, you take the bone from the pit bull, and now we can have a conversation about learning to sit. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, I'm not knocking those things. It's just interesting to me that we so infrequently talk about the cure, or the not even the cure, but getting at the issue underneath all of it. Like we would say in science, like the, the ultimate cause, the real cause of this? What's the causal relationship between your restlessness, your need for distraction to drink, to, you know, to have unprotected sex or whatever, you know, dangerous behaviors and even non-dangerous behaviors? What compels you to do that? I think you'll find that most of it is this inability to sit with ourselves because we don't understand that, Right. So that's, that's what I think drives this thing. And then it's about why. But even more than that, before you get to the why, you need a mechanism to help you do it. Because if I just said, sit in silence for 30 minutes, go. You won't be able to do it. <laughs> right? And that's where meditation and mindfulness comes in. These are systems that are thousands of years old that are designed to help you learn to do it, to teach yourself to do it. And that's another part of the problem is, you know, unless you come to this on your own volition, uh, it's because uh, that, that, that's how it's got to happen. And that's what happened with me. Ten people told me I needed to do it. I tried ten times. I told those people they were idiots. And then one day I just kind of tried it on my own. I said, you know what I need? You know what? 
Shit's really fucked up right now. I need something. No, it's not weed. No, it's not a new job. No, it's, you know, not putting my kids in daycare. You know, I think I, think I tend to sit quietly with myself. And that's where it starts. The necessity is the mother of invention. But again, if you, it's kind of like my 13 years of therapy may not have helped me directly, but they set the stage for what I've been able to do in the last couple of years. And the same thing with, with meditation. You've got to learn what it is. You've got to learn about it. You've got to learn the relationship between distraction and restlessness and attachment and awareness and thinking and the dream and the stories we tell ourselves and old beliefs and irrationality. You've got to have all those, those pieces and then this, you know, the understanding that the system was designed by some people that swear, that suffered the same way you do and got sick of it. And this is what they figured out. And hey, if you want to try it, great. I really wish you would. I'm not going to shove it down your throat, though, because I get it. I was there. And then maybe one day you're just like, what is it that I need right now? Oh, what I need is just to sit with myself for a few minutes. And luckily I learned how to do that. I can concentrate on my breath. When I have a thought... Just let that thought go. Oh, it sounds stupid, but I'm going to try it. That's what I did. And I was lucky to have a job where I was able to meditate for like 20 or 30 minutes a day, five days a week for a year. And I did it because I was so bored and not having anything to do with the job. But I needed to have the job. Anyway, it was private. I could lock my door. I got there before anybody else. You know, perfect. And so I did it. I learned it. It became part of my life. It may not be that regular. I'm, I'm a daily-ish and really often not more than 20 minutes at a time. Um, I want more. I will do more. I, but I have developed it to a point where, like my responsibility with drug and alcohol use or my decision to not do nicotine anymore, this is a permanent part of my life. And that's such a good feeling. <laughs> and I don't. And, and the very technique itself has taught me not to beat myself up about it when I don't do it and realize that I'm a lifer. You know, I, 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 it's going to vary. And really, what could be more natural than that? It's like a stream. Sometimes the flow is high. Sometimes the flow is fast. Sometimes it's muddy. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's frozen. I can't predict it. I can't decide how it works. All I can do is sort of not get attached to it and let it be uh, by simply being with it instead of trying to do something about it. All that stuff, I sound like some freaking, you know, <laughs> pillow sitting guru but I'm not this is honestly I, I went kicking and screaming far from the poster child of mindfulness and so mindfulness and part of the reason I don't have the need to meditate is I'm able with my lifestyle and my, my privilege to kind of not be that stressed out most of the time anyway I don't have to go to a, 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 a toxic workplace anymore right I can choose what I do with my time. Now, I've always got my seven-year-old, or not right now because she's at the trampoline place with my wife. You know, I've always got familiar responsibilities and things, but I can carve my time out. And, and, I've, and I've found a way to sort of lightly meditate most of the time. You know, just for an example, we have birds. And I watch the birds, you know, maybe 30 minutes to an hour total every day. They're, the window's there. I can see them. A few minutes of those time periods every day, I really see the beauty of nature that people talk about. I get it. I have frozen infinite moments in time where I am a thousand percent convinced that I'm just a group of molecules 
happening in this moment among billions of similar moments, right? I have those moments on a daily basis. Part of that's probably the fact that I've done psychedelics, which slapped me upside the head with that sort of awareness, but it's also and mostly due to mindfulness and meditation. Because I'm able to let go for a minute of all the bullshit dreamy talks of the world, all those stupid ideas that pop into my head, just don't pay any attention. I don't ignore them because ignoring them is an active thing. I just don't attach to them. I don't give them my awareness or my attention, which makes space to just experience what's happening. Uh, and maybe this, maybe I misunderstand this whole thing, and I'm creating some story, illusionary story, and attaching to the birds. But it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> I don't care if that's what I'm doing because it feels better than you know being distracted by the ideas of normalcy. So I'm I'm coming to you as somebody who is the anti-guru, the anti-influencer of this whole thing. I. I denied this until I just... It's, it's very Cartesian, right? I tried to pretend this wasn't real as many times as I possibly could until I had no other conclusion after doing enough meditation to have to declare, I mean, I can't doubt this anymore. I, I feel good for meditation, so it works. You know, that's my Cartesian take on the whole thing. And in the end, what I realize is the what I think, I don't know if I realize this, because I've heard this multiple ways from John Kabat-Zinn, from Don Miguel Ruiz, from other Toltec teachings, from the Buddha, you know, from the Tao, that this awareness and this learning not to attach and to not let the second arrow hit us, right? To not tell a story that somehow interprets what's happening in the world in a particular way is power. It's our antidote against all of the elements of the world and of ourselves, the extrinsic and the intrinsic Influences on a human being that create the problems. This is the gateway. This is the boundary, which I talked about in the last episode. It's the door where you either allow this story, this dream, this problem to come in and be pervasive in your life and start to take over and make you feel bad and make you suicidal, make you want to quit your job or make you not get along with your neighbor. And to to, to 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 bombard yourself with the second, third, fourth, and infinite arrows that come after the first one, it's the gateway for that. You can sort of choose, or at least you have, <laughs> you've opened up to the capacity to do that. I think a non-meditator, a non-self-aware, in the meditative sense, person has very little power to discriminate the world, which I like I talked about in the last episode, if your neurology is saturated, you have no way of discriminating among any of that stuff. Awareness gives you that capacity to pick. And then your practice is like a trial and error sort of learning process that helps you understand the stimuli 
that will help you choose the quote-unquote correct one or next one that works with the life that you've come to terms with wanting to live. Think about it. If you don't have all those questions, a lot of those questions answered, again, you're the drunken monkeys, you know, haphazardly stumbling through a life. Myself included, I'm still doing this. It's just less. I've opened the door for more magic moments of simplicity, calm, awareness, peace. Dare I say happy, but I don't even know what that means. And less of the stuff that makes me want to end it all, not be a part of it, honestly. And I want more, (laughs) you know? But, of course, I don't because I'm not addicted to it. I know that it's better, and I accept the fact that I get as much as I can, and I still have all the same monkey mind problems as everybody else does, just to, they have less power over me. And so, the point I'm trying to make there is that, the, I think, and although I am extreme, newbie, uh, recent, like, novice in this whole thing, but I do feel like I've bought myself, you know, I, I have permission to talk about it, and credibility as a practitioner of mindfulness, but very new, that this is the way to personal power. This is the pathway to being a Buddha or a Gandhi or a Mother Teresa or whom you name anybody in your life that you think sort of has it figured out um, to some degree more than you. This is the this is the gateway to that, right? I've started that work. How much I am able to get, I don't know. That, that's the point. It's been, truthfully, quite honestly, in as much as I could be asking that question, like how well-developed and powerful can I get make myself, I feel myself... I think the only way to do that and what compels me forward in life is to want to help you do it, help other people get where I'm at even. Like to just, you know, get out of the monkey, drunken monkey thing and 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 give you a glimpse or not even give you help you find your way to see what is there for everyone to see that there's a different life and i'll close with this you know when i read the carlos castaneda books about don uh juan uh, you know a separate reality journey to ixlan tales of uh what is it tales of power you know, the, the, the journeys of the, these made-up stories of this white, um, stupid, you know, fumbling, drunken monkey of an archaeologist discovering the Toltec natives in Mexico and learning about um, another way of seeing life. And what Don Juan would do is, is apparently use psychotropic substances to knock a person loose from their connectivity to the regular world. Um, and he called this moving your assemblage point. And I think this is the same thing. You know, this is the metaphor that works for me in meditation. Meditation allows you to lessen your attachment to your definition of reality and and open your mind to the idea that maybe that's just a story you've been telling yourself. Or as Don Miguel Ruiz would say, also with Toltec lineage, that's just a dream that you made up to interpret the world. This is one of a billion other ones. And so meditation allows you to... The only thing I know of besides psychedelic drugs, which, which is like, could go either way, 
to, to, to open you up to seeing the world in a different way. And I think <laughs> we all need that in, in a huge way. So this has uh, been 100, episode 164 of the Neurodivergent Professor. Mindfulness practice is the key to human success. I'm Chris Bercher. I, as always, I appreciate your attention. Um, if you made it this far, follow my podcast, YouTube channel. Find me on Medium, my own personal webpage. Let's interact. Let's hook up. Uh, I appreciate your time and your attention. Take it easy.